Peace and love. This is Brother Fahimi. You are now tuned in to the Leaders Logic Podcast. You know the vibes. Peace, peace. Welcome back, y'all. Welcome back. A little bit, a little bit late with this podcast, but uh, better late than never, right? <laughs> Man, it's always good to be able to extract a little time away from the the rigor of life, man, the spinning wheel that is my life, and, you know, speak with you guys and offer up a little bit more knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, and kind of let you guys into um, how I analyze and utilize logic, right? Yeah, man, um, so for all those who are new, welcome, welcome on in, man, come on down, come on in, and uh, for those of you all who are returning guests, you know, when I always say, come on in and, uh, Put your feet up, relax your mind, let your conscience be free, and uh, listen to the voice of Brother Fahim. <laughs> man, what is going on? There's so much going on out in the world, man. It's uh, it's often hard for me to try to pinpoint and try to uh, get a hold, a grasp of something that will, something that is uh, relevant to black culture, something in pop culture that has an underlying meaning for black culture, right? And that's what I try to do with these podcasts. I try to bring current events and try to extract or, uh, you know, uh, divulge in or make sense of, rather, that's the best way to put it, make sense of those things that would affect the black community and the black mentality, right? and it's a lot going on, man. It's a lot, lot, lot. Like I've been reading about the brother in Boston who was uh, engaged to Neil Long, uh, the Boston Celtics coach. He's gotten himself into a little bit of trouble, right? Um, <laughs> there's the legal issue there, and then there's the morality issue. But nonetheless, that's one thing that's going on. Um, but I think something that uh, that's caught my attention, you know, repeatedly is the Woman King movie. Now, I'm going to put this at the outstart. I have not seen the movie yet. I've read reviews. I've read the, um, I've read the plots. And I've uh, read a couple of articles. And I paid attention to a couple of interviews. Um, but I wanted to report on it, though, because it only fits into this grander narrative right now, uh, into the, the big scheme of things. And so... I thought I'd speak on it a little bit after reading and and, uh, and and observing what's going on with this. And it's bigger than the Woman King, right? It's it's it's, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than this one film being released. Uh, its implications fit into a bigger narrative uh, and a larger framework that I think is very destructive. That I've been saying it's destructive to the black community for years, right? So. You know, I wanted to call this something that I heard Professor James Small speak about when he talked about the Black Panther movement. He said, uh, behind all content is intent. And uh, to quote him, uh, to the letter, he said, all content have intent. And if you're not careful, when you're looking at content, you'll miss the intent. Yeah, and I think that's what happens a lot of times. I think that subconsciously, and maybe even consciously, depending upon what side of the spectrum or where we lie uh, philosophically and politically on black issues and on uh, issues that affect us, you know, we decide to embrace or we reject the intent of all this content that we're seeing. And so, yeah, the name of my show today is uh, All Content Have Intent. So uh, it's been a big, um, I've been reading about some backlash that Viola Davis and Peter Nyong'o 
that they uh well more so the movie but Viola Davis stars in the movie The Woman King and you know the uh the different sites are kind of breaking down the issue or the problem and I said it's not a Woman King thing specifically but uh generally it's uh a narrative thing right because whenever we see films that are about black people most times they are created and the narrative is formulated by people external outside of our community and i don't know about you guys but you should have a problem with that one thing that i know is if two siblings live in the same home and you ask them a story about one circumstance each of them are going to have a different story about that same circumstance um they're going to say, no, this is what happened. Other ones say, no, this is what happened. But it'll, it'll be unique and tailored to their perspective and their experience, right? But um, definitely, um, if you're trying to ask someone about their story, uh, you have to be mindful of uh, the creative control that is given or that is taken to tell the story. And I think that that's the bigger, that's one of the bigger issues that, that we're seeing or that I see, right? Um you know, the creative control, what's historically correct and what's creatively uh, been uh, added to make it a great film. Yeah, and it, it, it's been a bunch of articles, right? It's been a bunch of articles that I read. And I'm going to go into that. But something I wanted to point out, though, um, behind all content is intent, right? Um, you have to ask yourself, man, when, you, when you're watching these things, especially these biopics about these historical figures, and it's been real as of late man it's been a, it's been almost glaring i don't know if it's because you know i'm i'm so critical of these things or it's just they're just blatant in their approach a couple of couple of things that i've seen that i really shook my head and <laughs> i say to myself yeah that's typical uh, typical uh inaccuracies right uh what was the one that i saw a while back a night in miami and it was by regina hall right was it no excuse me regina king a night in miami it's a story that traces the conversations that was had between uh the late great muhammad ali our, our champ forever uh the late uh the late great sam cook who was uh, considered by some as the voice of the civil rights movement because he wrote a change is gonna come uh, our brother who was still with us who is a titan who has always been a titan and an activist would be Jim Brown um, and also the Honorable Minister Malcolm X. When you watch that movie, you have to go back and watch it on Prime and, and take a look at it. You know, uh, the undertones, how different characters were portrayed, uh, their stances, uh, their overall uh, perspectives on, you know, the civil rights and, and things of that sort. You know and how they move i think it was a bit skewed and the thing about something that uh, is a biopic or uh, a person that was here or people that existed is that there's much much research that is out there there's much literature so it's really no excuse for a whole lot of the uh inaccuracies that exist and you have to say to yourself at some point is this just a mishap or are they trying to uh tilt this thing to a certain direction so that was the first thing that i saw that i was like wow this is this is glaringly inaccurate um something else uh that i view uh, or that i view that has a narrative shift 
Um, and it's fiction. It's not a biopic or anything like that. But uh, the Black the Black Panther. I remember watching the Black Panther, saying to myself, "Wow, this is a uh, this is crazy. What are they really trying to say?" Again, a lot of us got so involved and so engaged in the content that we missed that this was a story about uh, Pan-Africanism. This was a story about uh, African people who refused to help their own blood relative, but would rather uh, engage repeatedly in the aid of those who hate them, which is the Western world, the CIA. And so, um, yeah, it was very morale boosting. Yeah, it made us uh, it, it gave us a sense of African aggrandizement, right? We were able to go and uh, wear our dashikis to the theater. You know, everybody was putting up their W's for Wakanda forever. But in all that symbolism, it seemed that we missed uh, the underlying objective or the story. Uh, what that what that film's uh, ultimate message was and is. So uh, that's that's something that you know. I said, "Wow!" Shook my head again. But um, but with more black shows, with more television shows, you know, I I, I noticed things. I noticed the same issue, like power. <laughs> and I've spoken about power. Those of you who know me know that the original Power was one of my favorite uh, shows, just because of the intellect of James St. Patrick. I, I in no way, shape, or form endorsed the drug selling or any type of criminality in uh, within our community or waged against our community. I think it's we have to rise above that. We have to put that behind us and we have to find ways to work together in order to make that something of the past and something that's not necessary. But I absolutely uh, like the character of James St. Patrick because he was a man who was trying to evolve. He was a man who was trying to put things behind him and step into the new, uh, step into his best self, right? But again, when you look at uh, who wrote it and when you look at how it ended and we look at the trajectory of these new uh, spinoffs to power again the narrative is a little bit skewed and it's, uh, it has a very feminist undertone to it uh, another another show that I sometimes I, I frequent is The Shy right the tale about uh, Chicago life um, and it started out initially I think it started out with uh, a different set of nuclear characters right a different set of people and it just really basically deals with the lifestyle uh the south side of chicago the earlier seasons were a little bit good they were better i would say but now um when you look at it you know again it's 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 very very uh feminine pronounced female oriented male subservient pronounced um and also you know, it, it puts that homosexual element in our faces again. Same with power. Power did the same thing to a degree. Um, you know, it's not as prominent as the shot, but you know, it had some uh, sense of homosexuality that was shown. And let me say this, let me clarify this. This is not to bash any community, any oppressed community. Again, I'm not against anybody. I do think that uh, Hollywood, uh, has a scheme, you know, I think that the emasculation of black men in general is a thing, a real thing. Uh, that's what the minister of Louis Farrakhan has taught us. And it seems to be accurate from uh, what we see. 
um, but also in Hollywood. You know, there have been a lot of men, not just today, Eddie Murphy, Richard Pryor, and I've talked about this before. There is always this uh, 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 heavy feminine presence in the men, right? To the point now where it's almost like they're showing this homosexuality. They're trying to make this more tolerant and more acceptable. Again, not not to say to go out and protest uh, people who want to live their lifestyle a certain way. That's on them. I'm totally I'm totally fine with that. I'm just not good with the imagery being forced in black shows. Every show there is uh, this heavy, heavy uh, homosexual. Uh, a piece or section or section and so it uh it sends a message in the minds in the subliminal mind of all people who watch and i think we have to be mindful of that because now it causes for conversations that need to be had amongst families right and amongst uh children and young adults and husband and wife uh, all all the way around so um, and then the last is something that I have not the show that I just see uh, I've heard people discuss <laughs> and I've kind of watched how people cringe when they talk about it uh, the show P Valley um, and I I uh, I, uh, I kind of get <laughs> I don't I would hate to I would hate to try to figure out what P Valley means but I do know again like like I mentioned with uh, the shot um, there's a heavy uh homosexual presence there um there's a heavy uh uh what strip stripping culture there um and you have to say yourself wow where's the balance where are the shows that show uh the bill cosby or uh black people who don't have some kind of ulterior lgbtq or or uh some kind of pathology involved. Where's that group of, of black people? Where's that? You know, when are we gonna show that? When is that gonna be something that is highlighted and emphasized? So, and I say all that to say, what is the underlying agenda that these films have? You have to ask yourself, right? I heard Boyce Watkins talk about this. He was, he discussed The Woman King. Uh, he discussed it in a little bit more detail. 19 Keys talked about it in a little bit more detail. Uh, who else, who else, who else, who else? Even Professor James Smalls uh, talked about it in a little bit more detail. But the thing uh, that I ask you guys is this, what's the underlying agenda? What are these films trying to say, right? What's the objectives, you know? And who creates these narratives? Who created the screenplay for The Woman King, right? Who wrote the story for The Woman King? Ask yourself these things. One thing that I, um, I thought about while I was you know, thinking about recording this show is this. We get so hyped up and so excited because of inclusion and, and, and being able to participate that we forget that that doesn't really denote or equate to agency or control. What do you mean, Fahim? What I mean is this. When we discussed or when I got into conversations with people about the Black Panther movie, Oftentimes, people would say things like, oh man, it's a black cast and it has a black director. And those are beautiful facts, right? But now, understand, 
Just because you have a black director does not mean that the film is necessarily going to be geared toward black people, right? It's all the same when you watch sports. When I watch my guys that, that are heavily uh, enthralled and engaged in sports, sometimes when they're picking a team, they'll say or will say, I'm going for the team with the black coach, right? And that's great. But understand, if the owner's not black, then guess what? Just because that black coach wins, how does that really benefit us collectively, right? What does that mean? It's the same thing with these films. When people say, oh, uh, Gina Prince-Bythewood directed The Woman King. Well, that doesn't mean a thing. Who funded The Woman King? Who created the story for The Woman King? Who wrote the screenplay? You're going to find out it was Maria Bella who wrote the story, right? And it was Dana Stevens, along with Gina Prince, Bythewood, that wrote the screenplay. So you're talking about uh, a black director, right? She just directed the actors. She got the actors to bring forth the emotion necessary to bring the words off the page to life, right? That's not a whole bunch of control when you think about narrative and how the movie deals with the black family, uh, African antiquity, uh, the history of Africa, I should say, right? The history, the historical uh, uh, African kingdoms that says nothing about that. And it does nothing. So we should be a little bit more logical and smart when we're dealing with uh, what shapes our perception of what a black story is. Just because it might have people who are black involved in the process does not mean that the story is created for us and by us. But, let, but moving on, now I'm going to give you guys a little bit of literature to deal with um, a couple of things that I read, right? A couple of articles on this. The first article is from Indie Wire. Woman King director Gina Prince-Bywood on Backlash. You can now win an argument on Twitter. And basically in this article, she's just saying how um, the Woman King was gaining a lot of traction by, by way of contention. You know, and, and she wanted to stay out of the peanut gallery per se. She didn't want to really get into it. But I'll read you a couple of lines. It says, in fact, much of the film written by Dana Stevens and Maria Bello follows the exact storyline with Davis's revered General Nancyka attempting to sway her king, John Boyega, to abandon the slave trade because of its hor horrific impact on their fellow countrymen. It's not just mentioned in the film, it's a large portion of the drama of the story. When people book out a film, presumably without seeing it first, the message is lost. I see the way my critics are, they would say, that's all you need to see the film, right, Brother Fahim? <laughs> you know, because of what what uh, what was just written right here in this piece. Um, and again, absolutely seeing these films, uh, seeing these films is, is one thing, but interpreting their underlying objective is totally another. That's what I was going to say about Boyce Watkins. Coming back to that, um, he was discussing it with his wife and he said, you know, when I go into these films, I go in knowing that there's going to be an underlying feminist and left wing liberal agenda that is going to saturate the film. That's one, one of the reasons why I feel like, hey, listen, I'm going to read about this film. 
I'm going to read the reviews. I'll probably see it sooner or later, but I understand that the film fits inside of a narrative uh, that they're trying to push this underlying objective. And this film is just one piece of that puzzle. Um, but yeah, Miss Bythewood was saying that people hadn't seen the movie, but they were arguing about it. And they have the right to do that. Um, you know, my philosophy is if you can back up whatever it is that you believe with logic and evidence, empirical evidence, then I can respect that regardless of what it is, math, science, uh, film, whatever it is, if you can back it up logically, if you can show me something that's not just where you felt a certain type of way, or not just something where your emotion is leading you, then hey, I'll say, hey, hats off to you. Hats off to you. So, so yeah, um, the film, I guess, is earning $18 million this weekend. Uh, so people, I guess people really are liking it, right? People are really liking the film, right? They really are enjoying it. Now, another article on the World Socialist website, uh, it's called The Woman King Rewriting the Past for Money and Status. Um, and it goes into a little bit of the cons or a little bit of the more harsher critique of the film. It says, set in 1823, the woman king purports to tell the story of Ogoji, a female warrior unit in the West African kingdom of Dahomey, today's Republic of Benin. There's little, there's very little of the real history here and a great deal of self-aggrandizement and identity politics. The results are deplorable, both artistically and socially um so this this article really deals with the historical the historical technicalities because they understand listen if you're telling a story uh about a historical figure or historical figures it needs to at least be as close to uh the actual history uh than not because again people are going to subconsciously be connected to it, right? And a message is going to be sent to them. Uh, and they might not even catch the message. But if they know the history of something, that will absolutely uh, affect how the message is perceived and received. Um, this person says that Woman King is a bad movie with a cartoonish narrative and cartoonish characters. In fact, Comparisons have been made to the racialist degrading Marvel film Black Panther, which takes place in the phantasmic African nation of Wakanda and includes a fictionally reimagined version of the Agoshi, the Dora Milaje, or Adored Ones. Um, movies historically reimagined, they're not, Agoji are not just combative as inhibitors of the idyllic Dahomey kingdom. They sing, dance, and exchange cliche. Um, uh, cliche saying such as to be a warrior you must kill your tears here I will be the hunter not the prey and love makes you weak theirs is a juvenile predictable domain of pat, of pat formulas they are invincible in the filmmakers make believe universe of Amazonian women of color as the ultimate conquerors again there's been this big push this black girl magic this, uh, this overall uh, um this overall movement, man, to really elevate the black woman. And it's, that is absolutely necessary. We should be doing that. But 
the other side of it is detriment is putting us in direct competition with the black man and again that's not bad that's not good but it's not good because it destroys the fabric of the black family that is the whole issue that's the, that's my whole issue at least and now they've made it where they're reimagining it. this is revisionist history on film about the african world or the ancient african world um and this ain't brother fahim these are facts that you can go and research to anybody out there because again these movies they cause you to they're morale boosters right they're self-value boosters they cause people to uh to really believe in themselves and that's good so anybody saying anything counter to that saying listen you need to go and look up who these real people were and what really happened there can be some friction there can be some contention for that but hey uh I I don't fight with opinions. I always I always grapple with the uh, with the facts. Grapple with the facts, ladies and gentlemen. It's the whole premise of this of this uh, podcast. It's grappling with facts and letting your logic be your guide because you can never go wrong there. Um, the actual complex history gives the lie to the racist interpretation. According to the to Amazon's on Black Sparta, women of Dahomey. This came out in two thousand eleven. Uh, Stanley Alpern, the homie perhaps more than any other African state, was dedicated to warfare and slave raiding. It may also have been the most totalitarian with the king controlling and regimenting practically every aspect of social life. This is not prevented from having to pay tribute to a neighboring room oil for three quarters of a century. So a part of the the plot was, you know, the main character played by um, Viola Davis. She was uh, very much, they were, the homie, they were, that kingdom was engaged in the slave trade, but they were against it. And she didn't want to uh, involve herself. She wanted to rely on the palm butter they were selling. She was not really into uh, the, the, the slave, the selling of black bodies. She wasn't, she wasn't for that. But when you, what you see is when you, when you read is that the homies, they were very much involved in it, right? Even so, I read in one article, even after the British, con- uh, destroyed slavery that the homies were still uh, taking part. Uh, Alpern goes on to assert that 1865 saw the extinction of the homies' Atlantic slave trade. The death blows were dealt by the British Navy, which intensified its anti-slavery patrol on the slave coast and by the Spanish government, which closed Cuban ports to slavers. But they still were doing business, right? Um, You know, it says, uh, Portraying the main character, I think it's Nanny Naniska's actions as enemies of the slave trade makes for a nice story. It says architectural history, historian Lynn Ellsworth, Larson interview. These women are symbols of strength and of power, but they're also complicit in a problematic system. They are still under the patriarchy of the king, and they are still players in the slave trade. Um, in truth, uh Gizo, who was the king, I guess it's the brother from uh, the new Star Wars movie, right? I forget the brother's name. He's British. In truth, Gizo only agreed to end the homeless participation in the slave trade in 1852 after years of pressure by the British government, which had abolished slavery for not wholly altruistic reasons in his own colonies in 1833. So I, I love that because it didn't let the Brits off the hook like they were just these more moralistic people. And that was the reason why. 
they uh, <laughs> they ended the slave trade because they understood that it was it was uh, it was morally and it was a crime against humanity. Real quick off the topic, we're talking about the Brits. Uh, the Queen just died, right? Queen Elizabeth just passed, and um, a lot of people, a lot of black people were engaged or involved in her passing. But again, see, that's why narrative and writing and objectives should be uh, scrutinized when we deal with these things. Because what we find out is the Queen Elizabeth, she aided a lot of the destruction, a lot of black leaders from around the world. They were destroyed and she was aware of their destruction under her watch. So she was complicit to a lot of the destruction of African civilization. That is nothing to celebrate. Now, of course, death in any community, death to any people is always a tragedy. And we don't wish tragedy on anybody, but we most certainly do not uh, reimagine or show sympathy to a ruler who was a part of the destruction of our people collectively. That's what we cannot do. So yeah, uh, from a humane perspective, You know, anybody dying is a problem. Anybody dying is not something uh, smile worthy or celebratory. But now when you talk about people who had a hand in the destruction of our people, well, how do you expect us to feel? We should not be engaged and we certainly shouldn't feel bad because that's European business. When when things happen to Africans or African-Americans, no one cries. Not not in the manner in which or not in the, the way in which we cry or we get involved in people outside of our culture's uh, business. You know, that that's their business. Let it let it state their business. So that we have to understand that the historical context and the fact and the technicalities behind that. few more lines I want to read before I wrap this article up. Um, talks about the fact that the film is a historical falsification has been widely publicized. Even certain black nationalist proponents have denounced the film. Journalist Antonio Moore and others have attempted to organize a boycott of The Woman King. Moore writes that this may be the most offensive film to black Americans in the last 40-50 years. Another critic denounces a film that glorifies the African slave trading tribe is responsible for selling close to 20% of all Africans to the New World. Uh, the level of misinterpretation, however, does not trouble the critics, either enthralled to racial politics or intimidated by its promoters. The nauseating media praise for Black Panther has been echoed in this case. For the most part, so-called critics merely act as cheerleaders. The Woman King is in Delio. The Woman King is indelible and truly inspiring. Black women only. No white saviors need apply, writes Peter Travers at ABC. This is the, um, these last two is what I really, what really caught my eye about this article. The New York Times goes farther. Manolia Douglas, if I said that right, writes that ascendancy of women filmmakers over the past decade is one of the great chapters in movie history. 
And as women have fought their way back into the field, they also have taken up space on screens and in minds, long denied them. Their canvases are again as expansive as their desires. Um, yeah. And it says, uh, it says, uh, you know, it, it goes into a little bit more. It goes into a little bit more uh, 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 detail as to what's going on with, you know, the issue with the woman king. And, uh, you know, this is it. The Woman King is the latest in a series of films and television series in which the creators solve difficult or troubling historical problems by simply making things up. This is in part the product of postmodern irrationalism and subjectivism, which rejects the possibility of objective historical truth in favor of personal narrative. That's the, that's the line I was looking for, y'all. So I want y'all to hear. I'm going to read that one more time because in this article, that's what really glared. The Woman King is the latest in a series of films and television series in which the creators solve difficult or troubling historical problems by simply making things up. This is in part the product of postmodern irrationalism and subjectivism, which rejects the possibility of, of objective historical truth in favor of personal narrative. Again, uh, they're just making things up, right? Postmodern irrationalism and subjectivism, which rejects the possibility of objective historical truth in favor of personal narrative. So whose personal narrative is it that's being advanced and why? What's the narrative? Why would they make a movie right now about African, female African wars warriors right from a kingdom that is absolutely real but they make it up and they're extracting the realities of the group they're acting as though this group was so against the slave trade and the black women were the ones that were upholding this idea or this sentiment hey we need to be loving our brothers hey we need to be doing away with you know, the slave trade, it does two things. If you really look at it, it absolves all other ethnic groups, the Spanish, the Portuguese, the Arabs, the Europeans, primarily. It absolves them from their major role. And it also is a little bit ingenuous. Let me stop trying to be, let me stop saying that. It's real disingenuous. It's real in, inaccurate. So here's something, here's something, right? Slavery looked different on different parts of the globe, right? This was called a peculiar institution in America because you were reduced to chateau. Chateau is a like livestock, you were merchandise. See, in other cultures, in other societies, to be a slave would be the equivalent of being an indentured servant. What do you mean by that? Meaning this, you you do, you, you, you serve a penance like a debtor's prison. You might've had a debt. You might've been a prisoner of war. Whatever the case was, whatever it may be, you can still have mobility. You have upward mobility in a society. You can work off that debt and go back to full rights as a citizen, a full-fledged citizen, right? That was not the case. And in some instances, it's still not the case. In America, right, you still, if you're a criminal, if you're a felon, it's still hard for you to find a job. It's still hard for you to, 
emerge back into society and gain your full-fledged citizenship. See, it wasn't like that over in Africa. Yeah, there was war. Yeah, there was slave trading. Yeah, but it meant something different, though. It didn't mean what it meant here in America. That's important to know as well, right? It's important to know in one culture what... It's important to know that certain things... What do they call it? Is it homonym? I could be wrong. Homonym is a word that sounds the same, has different meaning, right? Something similar to a homonym. Slavery, uh, uh, it, it, mean, it means something different in each culture. In African cultures, when they were trading slaves, these prisoners of wars, they could work off a of debt, but they could also be elevated. They still had family. They still had rights. They still were human beings. They were not human beings over there. Uh, I mean, over here, excuse me, in America, in the West, I should say, right? All over the West, they were not. It's not just America, that's France, that's Italy, wherever uh, African people or whoever, whatever type of people were made to be slaves and subservient. Uh, we were not uh, human beings, but, um, but yeah, so it dissolves, it absolves people, man. It absolves a lot of groups and it empowers uh, uh, women at the same time, right? It gives you this 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 uh, this narrative that the women were the ones that were upholding, and the men were the brutes, and they fought against the men hard to to flip this thing over, right? That's crazy. That is that's super crazy. That's, that was untrue. But uh. It's another article out there, and I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to read the, the end. It's an article, uh, History versus Hollywood, The Woman King. The Woman King, History versus Hollywood. Um, you can find it uh, if you just type that in. But at the very bottom, and what it does, it goes back and forth. Certain things it talks about that's, uh, that's true in the film, but other things are extracted and absolutely embellished. But the end is what got me, right? It, it talked about... Um, it talked about, um, you know, upping men, right? It was a theme of outdoing their male counterparts. And it shows a photo in the film, I guess, where it's a, one of the uh, one of the female, the homie warriors up against a man, and they had this uh, spear, double-edged spear, and they were going shoulder to shoulder. And of course, the woman, uh, uh, she didn't relent. The man was the one who, who gave way, right? He just he was the one who uh, exhibited the weakness. He yielded to his pain. So, you know, you have this theme of women superseding men. And again, that's a theme today uh, in our in our culture, in our society. It's, it's a theme that, that's frequent, right? Um, I can do what a man does. It reminds me of the Godfather. It's all relative, y'all. It reminds me of Kevin Samuels when he would, he would always say, a man, a high-value man doesn't care nothing about these masculine tendencies that you so proudly boast about men don't care nothing about that we don't that doesn't that, that doesn't make you more desirable you know in our minds that doesn't make you uh something that we uh we want to attain or you know that wouldn't that doesn't make you someone that's uh eligible or that we would put you high on the pecking order and i only say that because a lot of you if you watch the brother our, our late brother's uh, podcast and i suggest and recommend that you all do watch a whole one right not just a a snippet actually carve out an hour or two and listen to him from beginning to end but you'll see a lot of them use that as an excuse as to why they were absolutely eligible and deserving of this uh 
made up fallacy of high value man, right? And that was one of the things they said, hey, I'm, you know, I can, I can do what a man does. You know, I can do everything a man does. <laughs> but nonetheless, but I digress. Back to this uh, article. Something in the article that I wanted to point out. It says, to make a movie that celebrates to the homie is a glaring example of how Hollywood likes to morph history, either by way of omission or outright fabrication. If you're going to watch The Woman King, read about the true story of the kingdom of Dahomey first. Otherwise, take everything you're seeing with a grain of salt. That's my message, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, about every film, every series that you see. Go and do the research. Go do the knowledge first. Then go watch it. Because then you'll be able to say, okay, that's accurate, that's inaccurate. And most importantly, you won't be so impressionable. Your subconscious mind won't fall prey to the symbolism. See, because most of us are not. Most of us are going to revel in that in that feeling, right? It's, it's, a, it's a utopian feeling when we get these uh, feelings of self-value and self-worth and, and boost our morality. That stuff feels good. It feels really good. And it'll lull you to the point where you won't think to say, wait a minute. Let me go back and see how accurate this is, especially a film about uh, uh, events that were, you know, events or people or person uh, that were real, that was true. So, uh, like I said, that really struck me. This, that's that paragraph what I just read. I was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. But yeah, narratives, y'all. Narratives, narratives. Um, I, I spoke about I spoke about um, us controlling our narrative. Now you got to remember, again, uh, Dana Stevens and Maria Bella. These were the primary. These were the uh, creators in the screenplays, along with Gina or Prince Bikewood, and she directed Love and Basketball. But uh, yeah, it was primarily two white women who constructed the story, along with a black woman that constructed the story. And it was uh, constructed. You have to say why. Why was it constructed like that? In an article uh, about Maria Bella, she said that uh, this was the version. This was the African version of Braveheart. You've ever seen Braveheart, the film uh, about William Wallace with uh, starring Mel Gibson? You know that that was inaccurate as well, right? <laughs> it was inaccurate as well. Uh, but the difference here was when Braveheart was released, there was not, I don't believe there was this, uh, the climate politically was the same, or at least it wasn't the same for those people or the Scottish people, right? Uh, at this, at this juncture in our history as black Americans, Afro-Americans, whatever you want to call us, um, we are absolutely uh, in distress. And one of the main issues of our distress is the family issue, is the, how the man and the woman get along how we relate to one another, how we love one another. And symbols, films, uh, music, uh, you know, hip-hop is just as is just as detrimental, right? Certain forms of hip-hop, gangster rap, is just as detrimental to our families, man, to our children, to their uh, to their wavelength and their vibrations. So um, Braveheart didn't have the same effect on that group of people that the Woman King will have on us. That's my point. Um, and so we just have to make sure that we understand who, even if it's a person of color, even if it's a black person, a black woman, 
you know, when you think about the shy, it's no coincidence that it's so heavily, uh, so heavy uh, on the homosexual references because, you know, uh, Lena Waithe is a homosexual woman, right? Uh, when you think about power and you think about how it ended or how she constructed or deconstructed the ghost character in that first, the original power series, it's no coincidence because she, uh, she came out and said that, you know, that the woman was supposed to be the last one standing. She was always going to be the last one standing. So that skewed and tainted the way all the other characters, especially the male lead, was portrayed. So you need to know these things. Uh, when you read a book, I was taught that you need to investigate uh, the author of the book because that'll, that'll let you know the why that the book was at least it was written that way at least that was why the message was articulated in the way that it was so um you know you just you keep in mind whose vision and whose brainchild this is and it's not ours right and that and that's simply apparent that's apparent so um yeah but i always give you guys some homework i give y'all a book right book that I'm going to reference and I'll read something for y'all from is from the about uh, the Browder file I'm Anthony T Browder uh, 22 essays on the African-American experience with the intro by Dr. Asa T. Hilliard III um, if y'all look up those those brothers you'll see that they're uh, Egyptologists the African Center scholars and they had great works um, to the advancement of antiquated Africa and how it implies and impacts today right Black people all over the diaspora. But it's 22 essays in this book. And each book, each essay, excuse me, has a different theme. You know, the mother of mankind, the creation of the Negro, you know, um, exploding the myths. That's one of my favorite because it did that, that exploding the myth one, it digs down into a lot of these paganistic holidays that we in that we uh, infuse into these religious holidays, right? Christmas, Halloween, Thanksgiving, all that stuff is paganistic. Don't believe me, go look at the literature, right? And so, and the one I'm gonna read to you is called Time for Heroes. And I give a brief synopsis, a brief synopsis of what he's trying to say, uh, what the author's saying in uh, Time for Heroes. He's really dealing with uh, African heroes and he's talking specifically about Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and how the mainstream views them and how they present them to the world, right? Um, he's talking about, you know, Heyru and um, Horace, you know, Sunset, those being, really those being the primary concept behind a lot of different movies, right? Uh, the, the Lion King, even the Black Panther, right? The Sun being uh, T'Challa, the set being uh, Jadaka or Killmonger, the Killmonger character. But nonetheless, just a few paragraphs that I thought were relevant to what I was trying to say to you guys. And this is what it says. Um, this is why heroes are crucial in the lives of developing children and also important to adults. We as African-Americans must determine who our heroes will be, not only for our children, but for ourselves. For too long, the writers of American history have determined who will be our heroes. This is dangerous. For whenever our history is in the hands of our enemy, our heroes will become zeros. Those people in whom we should believe, those who inspired and uplift us will be replaced by individuals 
with little or no self-worth. Goes on to say now, now is the time for heroes. Now is the time we must determine who will provide us with the positive images of ourselves. We do not have to wait until a person is dead to view them as our hero. There are heroes walking among us today. There are people with insight and direction who can profoundly affect our lives and the lives of our children. Uh, this is the one I thought was super profound. If we want to know the real Malcolm or Martin or any other African or African-American hero or shero, we must be willing to dig deep into their past. We must read their writings, listen to their speeches, and not be misled by Hollywood productions and made-for-TV movies of their lives. We must study the treasured lives of those near and dear to us, and we should not expect their stories to be handed to us on a silver platter. I thought that was super relevant because we do have to determine who our sheroes and heroes are. And as long as people from outside of our community determine and reshape and retell the stories, it will always only benefit the mainstream's objective at that point. And it will not benefit who it's supposed to or who it's intended on uh, helping. Yeah. Um, something that I learned um, you know, when I when I I took a class one time in college and it dealt with the great debate of Malcolm and Martin. <laughs> and uh, man, we read so much literature uh, on both of those major figures. It was very it was it was rejuvenating, man. It was refreshing and it was revealing, too, because we kind of got to peel back the humility and the humanity. Excuse me, I say humility, but I meant to say humanity. Uh, because oftentimes those brothers specifically are pitted against each other. They're also romanticized to a point where they're uh, saints and they do nothing wrong, right? Um, and I remember when I found out what they had done, I was like, okay, that's cool, right? They're they were human. But um, we looked at when it came to Malcolm, we watched Spike Lee's rendition of Malcolm's life. And now at this point, we had done a lot of research on Malcolm and we had, you know, got a lot of specifics. And so to go back and watch the film after that, just like Mr. Browder was suggesting, we, we did our research first. Uh, and just like one of the other articles, we read about him first and then we viewed the film. And it was different because... When I saw that film initially as a child, I remember how motivated I was. And I remember how all these different emotions, like I said, the, the morality boosting, the self-value, uh, you know, everything, you know what I mean? All, all of those things, man, that, uh, that rush, right? That rush to lead it, that rush to feel, to feeling good. All of those things, uh, I was engulfed in them. But then when I went back and looked from a, a critical, uh, historically uh, uh, correct uh, perspective, I just I saw all the flaws and it made me say, damn, what was Spike Lee doing? And then I had to look at him through a critical lens. And I said, well, what was he really trying to say here? What was the really, what was the underlying message that Spike was uh, alluding to? And, uh, and I said, oh, wow, it would appear that 
he had a half-hazard depiction or story of Malcolm. Whether it was Betty, rest of the soul, uh, Ella, which is Malcolm's sister that no one talks about, who was left out of the film, right? Um, whether it was a myriad of people, of Dimby, you know, uh, they left all these people out. Dimby was the brother he met in, in jail. He was incarcerated, but nonetheless, they left all these people out and he left an incomplete picture of who Malcolm was. Right, but what it did do, it made the nation of Islam look like this savage and jealous and envious uh, organization that acted uh, purely out of jealousy and greed to kill Malcolm. Now, I'm not saying that the nation uh, didn't include, or they were. How can I put it? I'm not going to say that they were totally innocent, and the ministers. Mr. Farrakhan has said it right, that he created an atmosphere that Malcolm could be killed. Uh, but what always gets negated when you talk about uh, Malcolm X and the Nation of Islam is the governmental and the, uh, the authorities' hand in it, the, the COINTELPRO, right? You know, and, and people gloss over Malcolm saying that the nation's reach was only so far. And then it you know, certain things that were happening to him, they had no capabilities of making it happen. So, why leave that out, Spike? If you're a pro-black brother, why leave so much vital information out? Because what it does is, it makes people turn a blind eye to the government, and it puts a sharp and overly excessively critical eye to this black organization that did more help than harm. Absolutely, there were people inside of the nation that were corrupted and crooked. Some at the top from what I've read uh, through documents and through literature. However, but comma, that wasn't depicted and presented in the Malcolm X film. And so, my point here is with all edutainment, let that be the omega, not the alpha. Let it be the, the ending of the journey, not the beginning. Meaning, if there's, if there's a subject or a person who you want to learn about and there's a film about it, it's best that you read up on them first before you go and watch somebody's interpretation of it. Because most times you could be watching some propaganda that is is given to you so that you so that you would uh, so that you would uh, not uh, partake in you know what really what was what was the person's real message or but you could be blindfolded or blindsided um or just kept away from the, the true intention of whatever the film is so but uh but yeah um so yeah that is uh that is it that is all that's all i want to say um I appreciate you guys coming on in. Man, uh, you know, follow that page, Lead With Logic, on Instagram. And uh, I appreciate you guys. And as Malcolm always said, may we meet again in the light of understanding. All right, peace and love.